Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and today I'm talking to Justin Cammy, professor of Yiddish and Jewish literature at Smith College and one of two lead faculty members at our conference on Chaim Grada, scheduled to take place here at the center on April 20th to 22nd. So welcome, Justin. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, I've been studying Yiddish literature now for maybe, you know, well over 30 years, maybe 35 years. And in all this time, I've never once gone to a uh, conference on Chaim Grada, largely because there's never been one that I, I know of. So why? why? Why the silence all these years? Well, part of the silence, I think, has to do with the fact that uh, due to the particulars of his personal life, it was very difficult to arrange these things without um, feeling as though you might be monitored, uh, either by Grada or especially by uh, his wife, who was highly protective of his legacy and of, and of Grada as a person. So people, uh, it wasn't only that there weren't many public conferences on Grada, it's that people didn't write about Grada, because any time you wrote about him, you might have been, uh, you might have received a letter <laughs> about what you had written. I think uh, I might have received a letter about what I, yeah. I think I think almost every uh, scholar <laughs> in the field has, and not to mention the fact that, uh, obviously, these days, many people reach Grada in translation, right. and the translations uh, are few and far between, and many of them were not renewed and are out of print. So it's very difficult. It was very difficult for many years to actually be able to organize something because people didn't have access to the materials, right. and people just didn't want to have to put in the time of ha- having to deal with uh, all of the... Uh, possible repercussions. All right. So Mrs. Grada Aleya Sholem died some years, a few, several years several back. Several years ago, yeah. And uh, now we're ready to make up for lost time here. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I want to just give a little context just to whet people's appetite a bit. Um, and, and let's just start with Grada's life. Mm. And, and more particularly with um, the world from which he emerged, which in many ways, you know, shaped him and became the subject of, of his literature as well. So where did he come from and uh, why is he important? Well, yeah. Grada is really the... Uh, the Litvak Yiddish writer par excellence. Uh, he he grew up. Um, people think that because he attended uh, a certain variety, a particularly extreme form of, of yeshiva education, that he grew up in a religious household. In fact, his father was a maskil and a Hebrew teacher, and he had um, a, a somewhat enlightened upbringing because of his father. But right. his father died young. Uh, in Vilna. I mean, he was, he was born in Vilna. And at that stage, um, his family fell into poverty. He lived with his mother, but eventually he was sent away to study at a variety of yeshivot uh, in the uh, Lithuanian hinterlands. And that variety of education was known as Navarduk, Navarduk Musser. Right. This was a form of ethical education invented uh, really uh, almost a century earlier in Eastern Europe by Rabbi Israel Salanter, and then one of his right. disciples took it uh, even further to a type of education where people not only studied the classical text, but studied them in a way that made them very self-aware ethically. It was all about self-exposure and, to a certain extent, transcending one's own desires and uh, foibles. Right, so the approach sounds quite contemporary, actually, right? <laughs> to, to a certain, I mean, it was very psychologically uh, informed for its day. Right. Uh, but I think that Grada himself uh, found it to be uh, entirely, at a certain point, um, not only uh, anxiety-provoking, but something that he couldn't deal with for the rest of his life. So as a young man in the late, uh, in the early, late 1920s, early 1930s, he begins a tra- transition, one of the more remarkable transition, from a life of a yeshiva bocher, and not just any yeshiva bocher, but an echt, you know, religiously, uh, ethically, uh, musser, navaradak yeshiva right, bocher, right, right, right. to someone who... Um, 
really put his stock in the Yiddish secular revolution, of which Yiddish literature and Yiddish poetry uh, was was one of the major players. So he joins, he returns to Vilna, and uh, early on in the 1930s, he falls in with the group known as Jung Vilna, Young Vilna, right. which is really the last of the major avant-garde Yiddish literary groupings in interwar Poland. And it's there, uh, along with Avram Sutzkever, another major uh, Yiddish writer, and, uh, and Laser Wolf, uh, and a whole variety of artists, poets, and, and prose writers, that he tries his hand. First at Yiddish poetry, and this is something that's not necessarily known about Grade. We think of Grade as the great writer of the thick Lithuanian novel. Right, the big the, sprawling... The big, you know, uh, like Semachatlas, yeah, right. like, uh, right, the yeshiva. Right. Or we think of him as the writer of the short story or vignette. We think of him, think of him as the writer of the philosophical dialogue, my Krieg mit Hersch Rosener, my quarrel with Hersch Rosener. We don't necessarily think about Grada the poet. And in fact, Grada began his career as a poet. He made his name both locally and internationally as a poet before the war. And he continued to write poetry after the war and after arriving right, in right. New York. So it's with Jung Vilne in the 1930s that he comes out with his first major collection, Yo, Yes, which to a certain extent was designed to be the exact opposite of his classical yeshiva education, which was all about, Nain, you can't do this, <laughs> don't do this, you're a bad person if you think this. Right, right, so right. he embraces this idea hmm. of the world, uh, but, but in a philosophical way that sh still shows the anxiety of embracing secularism and the guilt of leaving the world of tradition behind. Right, he says right. in one of those poems, I can't just be a bird uh, sitting on the branches. I can't just sort of tweet sitting on the branches. I have to engage with right, these right, biggest right. ideas. And it's then in Yo, it, it's Yo, and then uh, in a wonderful poetic cycle known as Ezekiel, and then in 1939, just prior to World War II, that he comes out with his first book-length epic poem, Mosernikis. Right, which I read in graduate school, right. and it was a two-month workout, as I recall. <laughs> but, but in some ways, reads as kind of a first draft for the novel that followed, for Semachatlis. Exactly. Shiver, this right? becomes yeah. his theme. What's interesting is that you can trace the way Grada uh, sort of organizes his ideas around this early educational experience in three different literary genres. So in 1939, he writes the epic poem about what it means to be a Musser student. And he really has, uh, he includes in that work the type of ethical discussions, the type of behaviors, and his own anxieties about this. Then, after the war, he moves, takes up Musser and the question of Musser again, but not in the, po in the, in the poetic form, but in the form of the short story right, with the right, quarrel. Right. And then he expands with the freedom and the time and the leisure that America provides him. He's able to then write his two-volume Tzemach Atlas, the right. yeshiva, right. Which is, which has le whose lead character is also dealing with those same issues. Yeah. So you have, um, over a, peer, over a career, three different engagements with the same topic, and of course, then different uh, you know, rays of light going out from beyond that. So right. it, really everything he writes comes back to that traditional world of Vilna, whether it be uh, the collection translated as Rabbis and Wives, whether it be the novel, uh, the Aguna, whether it be uh, the Well, all of these things translate the world of high culture right. and the world uh, around that high culture. So that when you think of Grade, and, and let's say after the war singer, as the two examples, let's say, of uh, East European Jewry, you have the starkest contrast you can imagine. Singer is all about desire, 
all about fantasy, all about folklore. He's really a Polish Jew. Right. Grad is really a Lithuanian Jew. <laughs> it's all about uh, the, the, the guilt about escape from religion, about what type of conversations people would have who are really engaged in this world. And he brought, I think, importantly for Yiddish literature and even for Hebrew literature, he brought the language of the yeshiva into secular texts. Right, which is, which is fascinating. Because if you think of an earlier generation, mm -hmm. which is you know, 50 years, 60 years before he writes, mm. you, know, you have Yiddish writers who, of course, are, are chronicling the traditional world, but always from a kind of uh, Haskalah perspective. They're right. always trying to show its obscurantism and its backwardness. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it's fairly simplistic, really. And Grada makes it substantive. No, not just substantive, but he, he, he really gives it a fair shake. I mean, in a, in a story like My Quarrel with Hersher Sena, mm -hmm. Uh, I know Ruth Weiss told me that most of her students at Harvard today thinks that the yeshiva teacher mm -hmm. uh, actually gets the upper hand in the story. That, mm. that, that, now, of course, that wasn't the original intent, and I think one can make a strong case. The, narrative, the, the narrator doesn't exactly support that. But nonetheless, it, it just shows how fairly he presents uh, his uh, side well, of the I argument, think he, right? He's, he's, yeah. he's a wonderful writer in being able to, in fiction allow you to experience argument and not just right. argument of a you know, everyday level but the highest form of argument so the line that a lot of students refer to from that story is a line about um, uh, the Horban, about the, about the Holocaust. And you have, you know, the, the man who used to be religious and no longer is meeting right. his teacher who remains uh, committed and religious. And the secular guy after experiencing the loss of his community and his family looks at this religious teacher and says, I don't understand after everything that we've experienced, how could you still believe in God? And the answer of the teacher, amazing answer is, I don't understand after everything that you've witnessed how you could still believe in man. Right, of course. And that's an amazing insight uh, to be given. Uh, and it's not only a, a literary insight, it's a theological insight, it's a historical insight. Sure, it shows the limits of reason. Right, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and therefore an extraordinary story. So you mentioned Bashevis uh, Singer, mm. and, and I... Somehow it's almost impossible to discuss Grada without reference to Bashevis <laughs> as well. I'm sure both of them appreciate that. <laughs> well, somehow I think he, maybe his wife uh, underscored this, but Bashevis was a nemesis of sorts. Although I can remember when uh, Bashevis won the Nobel Prize in 78 and I was in Montreal mm. and I was in the Jewish public library there and the new pa Yiddish paper arrives at four in the afternoon and there's a big uproar and it's a shunda that Bashevis should should win this of course and and the consensus was it should have gone to Grada it should have gone mm -hmm. to Grada mm. so I guess my question is why didn't it or uh, why is it that Bashevis Singer you know, made his way onto the shelves of the airport bookstores and, you know, paperback editions with sexy covers. And Grada never had anything even remotely like that. Well, I, I th there's a couple of reasons. One, Singer, very quickly after... Remember that Singer arrived in America not having experienced World War II and destruction, right? So he, he, he understood America. He understood what America was all about. And when you think of Singer, uh, he's an American writer. He wrote for translation, even though he might have written in Yiddish. He knew it was going to be immediately translated. He knew that the uh, English-speaking audience was his audience, not necessarily right, only right. the Yiddish-speaking audience. And he wrote about things that were contemporary. You think about the sexual revolution. You think about uh, the women's revo rev revolution. He wrote about desire. Uh, he wrote about um, sex. Uh, he wrote about demons and right, things right. that are rather contemporary uh, and in a modernist style that pretended that it was traditional. And people really responded to that. Uh, Grada didn't write about that. I mean, he wrote about Vilna. 
And then when he wanted to write something else, he wrote about Vilna. And then when he wanted a new story, he wrote about Vilna. Meaning it was deeply Jewish and deeply referential. It was deeply Jewish, right? de- deeply, Jewish deep, deeply referential, deeply informed, and um, deeply situated in, in, right, in the right. way that, you know, some writers have their territories, right? You think of Faulkner and, and his territory. God, I was just going to say that sometimes the most universal li- literature is the most specific, right? Right, and, and then we have to ask ourselves about what readers really wanted after the war. Did they want some type of folkloristic, uh, sometimes sentimental reading of um, the world of Polish Jewry? Or did they want something that really grabbed you by the throat and that was intellectualized and, and that made you engage with the substantiveness of what was lost? Right, right. Uh, the, having said that, you know, I think that one could do a lot worse than um, studying both of them and reading both of them. <laughs> right, and I think right, they're right. both great writers. And I'm not one who would say that one deserved it more than another or that an awful mistake was made. Every time I read Beshevis, I'm amazed. Yeah, me, me too. Actually, he, was, he, 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 he keeps getting better somehow. He uh, does. and I he, think Even though I disagree with him, but he still keeps getting better well, as, I, a, as I a writer. I think Beshevis yeah. is like Shalom Aleichem, that people, because those two names, Shalom Aleichem and Beshevis, are often the only names that the uninitiated know in Yiddish literature. <laughs> right. Those who know more about Yiddish literature shy away from them because they don't want that to be the beginning and end. They say, but what about this person? And what about that person? But in the end, there's a reason why those are, names are important. They're great writers. They both are great they writers. Both are of course great. They are. And Grad is a great writer too. So yeah. it is his time. Yeah, I, I know Mrs. Mrs. Grad used to uh, <laughs> call me with some frequency. And if she couldn't get me and she, my kids happened to answer the phone instead when they were like 10 years old, uh-huh. she, would, she would lay into them for an hour instead. And I remember coming home once and one of my daughters said, Daddy, what's a blasphemous buffoon? Because that was a, her, characteriz- <laughs> her characterization of uh, Isaac Vishava Singh. Uh, um, mm. uh, but quite apart from the, the interpersonal battle, I, I do think there were two very different takes on it. I mean, in some ways, Beshevis sort of explored existential issues against the Jew- this kind of exotic, mm-hmm. intentionally exotic Jewish backdrop. Right. Whereas, Besh- whereas Grada, no, he is a deeply Jewish writer concerned with deeply Jewish issues that remain quite unresolved to this day, right? And therefore of, of immediacy. So yeah. so who knows? May, maybe as all these new books are translated and as we hold this conference, new readers will start to emerge. I, I mean, that would be wonderful. I, I think an, another uh, interesting point to make is that um, Grada also wasn't as well known, perhaps outside of Yiddish circles, because many people read him after the war within Yiddish circles, still as a poet. He wrote a lot of poetry, oh, really? and a lot huh. of poetry huh. about um, the world that was destroyed, a lot of what we would now categorize as Holocaust poetry. To my mind, his memoir of Vilna just before the war, of his period when he escaped uh, right. to the Soviet Union, and then his return when Vilna was liberated, my mama's Shabbosim, my mother's Sabbath days, right. is one of the most important and interesting Holocaust memoirs uh, that we have. Hmm. I mean, that, that would be enough... Uh, to, some, to have established to, yeah. to have established himself, and, yeah. and it's a book that people uh, again uh, can't quite figure out why. Yeah. But when you look at syllabi of, of of Holocaust literature and you look at the big names, Grada's name doesn't appear on there right. with that memoir. And I think because it's thick and difficult, and doesn't provide easy answers. That is, if he had just written the third section about his return, right, where right. he meets these you know orphaned uh, family members. Right. Uh, around an empty town where there's no more Jews, people might have grasped onto it. But he tacks onto that an entire, you know, a couple of hundred pages about what that world was like before it was destroyed, right. because that's right. the reality. And people, you know, not everyone has the patience to slog through 
Yeah. Well, you know, that, th- think of Elie Wiesel's work where, mm-hmm. you know, he writes in Die Welt hat geschwiegen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, his, his original memoir. Right. And then he rewrites it in French as, as Louis, you know, uh, La Nuit. Uh, much uh, sparer. Uh, right. Much sparer and much less Jewish. Right. I mean, he ta- a lot of the specificity is taken out of it, uh, whereas Grotter is nothing but specificity in some ways, you know. And yeah. I, and, yeah. And, and possibly that's what hindered him from having as broad a, of an appeal as he could. I mean, he, he was stubborn in saying that I'm not going to dumb it down and I'm going to remain that substantive. And uh, remember, he's writing in a post-war generation where, for better or for worse, American Jews are not particularly culturally or uh, classically literate. Right. So So it makes it harder still. It makes it a lot harder, and that's why Yiddish readers adored him, because they didn't need that translation. They didn't want everything dumbed down. Right. They wanted it like they remembered it, or at least like they uh, imagined yeah. it. We, we have to remember, though, he, he was a fiction writer. And oftentimes, Grade is read uh, more ethnographically or anthropologically, uh, yeah. as saying that this is the way the world was. I'm not so sure that we need to, in the same way that we, we think of I'm not Adnan, sure. I'm not sure know. any writer could hold up to exa- that standard. Exa- you know? Exactly. Yeah, we, mean, all, we all look through our own eyes, right. obviously, in our own yeah. experience, our own lens. You know, uh, But I think it's... I still think it's fascinating. And, and th- what's available if people want to read Grada now in advance of the conference? Mm-hmm. What, what's in print? Anything? Uh, I, I believe my mother's Sabbath days is still in print. But yeah. apart from that, because of the lack of renewal of copyrights, or it wasn't allowed, I, the well is out of print. Yeshiva. I mean, you look online on Amazon now. Well, someone just a, told me it costs hundreds of hundreds dollars, of dollars for a just for copy one of this. volume. So yeah. the, the yeshiva is not in print. The well is not in print. Rabbis and wives is not in print. Wow, wow. I, but these were Knopf imprints, so that's a major publisher. So, so presumably these can get back in print now, or, or yeah, so we fervently I, I, I hope. Think if, I think if Knopf can be convinced yeah. that there, there's an audience, and if someone right. is willing to foot the bill, it would, yeah. it would be a major contribution to Jewish right. literature to have right. him back in print. And of course, there are rumors circulating there may be other manuscripts as well, right, that have yet to be translated. There are, although my colleague, um, David Fishman, who will be co-teaching, co-leading yeah. this seminar, uh, the, this, this weekend conference with me, um, when I talked to him a, a couple of weeks ago uh, in New York, he uh, he uh, doused my uh, your hopes. My hopes. He said that there will be manuscripts, but he doubts whether there might be a full, fully realized manuscript that we don't know know of. Now, I could be misspeaking on his behalf, but he explained right. to me that the way Grada wrote and how his process worked was that Grada, like many other writers, wrote for the Yiddish press. He didn't sit down for two years in advance and write a whole book and not tell anyone about it and I put see. it in a drawer. I see. I see. So it would be unusual, at least for Grada's process, right. to think that there was something there that he had never started to deliver to the Yiddish newspapers right. that we don't know of. Now, there are works, and I know that um, David will talk about this, that, are, uh, that were only published in the Yiddish press and never translated into English huh. novels. Huh. So there could be not only the need for the republication of the works that we already know of, but the publication of, of works that appeared in novelistic form in the Yiddish press but were never actually translated or even brought together uh, as a Yiddish novel. Right, right. So that right. might be the new, the new opportunity. And, and we know that, there are a lot of, um, cor- that there's a lot of correspondence. Well, I can't wait. Of course, when Mrs. Grata died, she left behind an apartment in the Bronx that right. was a chock-a-block full of uh, papers. Yes. And... Uh, this is a uh, the whole the ownership of it all is under contention. It's like the right Cairo now. Geniza of its, uh, of its day. <laughs> yes, except with much more complicated politics. So uh, 
Uh, I know we have a special guest at the conference. It's going to be Joseph Berger from the New York Times. You want to just tell us quickly why, he, why he's there as well? So. Uh, well, Joe Berger's invited because uh, he wrote uh, sort of a, the, the lead article for the Times about uh, not only the death, of, really about the, not, not Grada's death, but about the apartment and what was going to happen to the Grada estate. Right. Uh, as you know, um, there's substantial interest in the Yiddish world about the Grada estate, and there's a number of institutions that um, would be interested in helping to bring, to catalog it and to bring it um, right. to right. light. So it's not only an article of interest to the Yiddish world, but just for those who are interested in literature and what happens to the uh, archives and, and legacies it is, of writers. It is one of the great stories, and uh, I guess there's an enduring irony in the fact that Grada's life ends with what sounds much more like a Besheva story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the greater irony will be <laughs> if Grada's papers end up next to Besheva Singer's at the University of Texas. All right. <laughs> Yet to be seen. So uh, all this coming up and more. The conference is Sabbath Days and Extinguished Stars, The Life and Work of Chaim Grada. It takes place April 20th to the 22nd of 2012. Uh, registration is online at www.yiddishbookcenter.org. Uh, first come, first serves. We do encourage people to register early. It's going to be a relatively small group so that we can have a conversation and participation. And uh, we'll see folks there. Uh, and that's with uh, David Fishman, Joe Berger, and Justin Cammy. Justin, thanks so much for joining My us. My pleasure. Today. Our uh, original theme music today was written and performed by Hankus Netsky, and this has been a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh.